This is the Life in the Front Office podcast. I want to first thank all of our listeners to making this a success and helping us continue to grow. We bring on sports executives and professionals from around the industry, all different aspects of the industry, to provide insights and advice for those who are trying to enter the sports industry or those who are already in the industry just looking to learn something new and continue to get better. If you like our episode, please rate us on Apple Podcasts, leave a review, and visit our website at lifeinthefrontoffice.com for more episodes. Welcome to another episode on Life in the Front Office. And I've got today a guest in Bill Horenda, NBA contributor and college basketball analyst, along with my co-host Andy Dolich. Really excited to dive into our topic of LOL, and you might be thinking, uh, laugh out loud. Uh, we, we might have some laughs, but we uh, will be talking about loss of logo. Andy will dive in a little bit more. We'll kind of pick Bill's brain about uh, his career and what he's done in the in the front office and in the sports industry. Um, we'll go from there. Bill, welcome to the podcast. Jake, Andy, uh, thank you for having me. Terrific to be with you guys. Well, this, as you know, Bill, this is the only sports podcast in North America. So don't tell anybody or tell everybody about it. I, I don't, we're it. Uh, there are none. But God knows how many there are a lot because everybody wants to talk about the sports business. And from your position, and we'll focus in on loss of logo for a second. Um, you've had uh, a number of career stops where even a youngster like Jake has had a few. I've had a few too many over time, which we've talked to listeners about. But you also have had a chance to look at organizations, whether they're college athletic departments, big time basketball or the NBA and all of its various permutations, the G League, the WNBA. Um, but what we always like to do at the start of uh, these discussions is have somebody tell the story of how they got to where they got to and did, and did they ever think they were going to get there? Yes. And, and you know what, Andy and Jake, my path has been quite fun, but also quite circuitous. I mean, after uh, playing high school basketball at St. Peter's prep and then playing at UMass Lowell, which is now a member of the American East conference, I was really burned out at that particular juncture. Uh, I was fortunate to be part of a Division II national championship team there. And it was really a number of years later after I got established in a conventional nine-to-five sales career that all of a sudden uh, I got involved in broadcasting. And it really started at UC Davis working as the analyst on their games. And that kind of morphed into uh, working for the ESPN family of networks and then Compass Media Networks on the radio side with some national broadcasts. And, and boom, I was in the NBA as the Kings insider uh, for NBC Sports Bay Area. So it's interesting how it goes by so quickly. Uh, it's almost like the NBA season. Sometimes it feels like a glacial pace, but then all of a sudden you turn around and you've been in it a number of years. And I, I've really enjoyed it. I love the game. I love people. And uh, those are the two things that I really enjoy the most about it. And throughout the uh, twists and turns and the ups and downs, 
getting more work, getting less work, not getting renewed and losing contracts and kind of just continuing to uh, be as flexible and nimble as possible. Uh, I've, I've really enjoyed it. It's been, it's been a crazy ride, that's for sure. And that brings up the point that none of us like to be told no or sorry you came in second or you didn't come in any place and we're not going to respond to any of your requests as to how things are going on the job search. But, you know, truly, as I've gotten to know you and as we've talked to other guests, you are talent. And I say that in the most positive sense. Many of us on the business side of sports, um, you're not necessarily viewed as talent and you're not always auditioning. I mean, if you have a position in marketing or finance or team operations, uh, yeah, it's a tough political situation. But if you're talent and you have a larger audience, what is that like <clears throat> where you're told, you know what, you're good, but you're not good enough? Yeah, it's it's I think the perspective you have to have is really to do to do the best possible job you can in whatever role you're currently in. And I believe it was Teddy Roosevelt and not Tim Capstro, the Brooklyn Nets radio analyst, good friend of mine, who reminded me that uh, comparison is the thief of joy. So. I think it's it's really important not to play the comparison game, but to do the best job you can. And also, uh, it, it is, I mean, listen, it, it can be quite humbling to be uh, close and not get jobs. Uh, but like anything else, I think you just have to uh, try to maintain a positive attitude. And I, I really think the the effort has to be focused on getting better and improving right. and making sure that you're better today than you were yesterday. And th that's really where the focus needs to be uh, to, to get the next opportunity, to get, to get the yes and to overcome some of the, some of the rejections. And on the business side, uh, not that I'm up on you know the stage, but I've hired a number of play-by-play -play broadcasters in different sports and analysts. And I guess I've also told a few that the ride is over. And literally, I was at uh, a luncheon today where I was describing the circumstances of one broadcaster that I had to deliver the bad news at the end of, of his contract. And he just looked at me and said, you can't fire me. And I went, okay, um, but what, you know, who can? And he said, only the owner can fire me. And I said, well, fine, let's go up to the owner's office where I just came from and we agreed to fire you. So if you want, if you want to do that, we could do it. And then he goes, well, that's not the truth. And I go, okay, but we're going to have a press uh, gathering, you know, not a big deal to announce that you're, you know, you're moving on all the different ridiculous words, right? We're moving in another direction. You're moving on. You're exploring other opportunities, all things that we hear. And I said, I'm fine with us going in front of, in front of the whoever is there in the media, and there'll be a few people, and talking about what a great job you did. And since you're well-respected and have other parts of your job, 
let's do it that way, or we could just hand out a release that you were terminated. Your your choice. And he ultimately said, uh, okay, fine. And, you know, it worked out okay. But um, those kinds of circumstances, we try to talk about the reality of sport here and not just all the fluffy, wow, I did this game, I know that, I had 15 years doing this. And, and you've probably seen a number of them, and because you have many colleagues in the industry, there's probably a book just alone in that on the talent side. Absolutely. And I've always had the perspective of recognizing that the game is so much bigger than me. And really, it's so much bigger than all of us. And I think it's rooted in the fact that as a player, I really felt like I got a lot out of my ability, that I really worked hard. I wasn't even close to being the most talented guy on our roster, but I worked my way into being a rotational player uh, at the collegiate level. And similarly, when I look around, you know, whether it's the NBA or college basketball, you know, it's the talent, you know, the real talent on the floor. Uh, it's ownership, management, coaching, uh, and then fan bases. And then, yes, there are TV partners and ratings and what have you. But So to me, I never had like this huge ego that thought, oh, well, this game won't go on if I'm not showing up. I mean, that, that's you know, to, to me crazy. Uh, so I, I think from that perspective, I, I've had to work really hard and probably even work hard as a broadcaster to have the opportunities that I've had. But certainly I get the fact that it's that it's bigger than me. And, and even uh, uh, I think I think we all learn that lesson at some point. And I think really until you've been fired, it's almost like the playoffs. It, it hasn't started until the road team wins. And, and I think being in the media business, maybe it, it doesn't start uh, until you've been whacked to throw out another. <laughs> yeah. Us guys on the East coast, right. We can use that. The West coasters, yeah, they don't necessarily get that one, but go see the Irishmen, right. You'll figure it out. <laughs> there, there you go. There you go. Andy. But yeah, it's, uh, and you're right. Obviously I think, uh, Perhaps there are people that have had, you know, uh, careers without blemishes or without ups and downs, but the vast majority do. And I think a lot of it is just learning how to manage those uh, disappointments and also how to how to bounce back. So you you talked about, and we're focusing in on basketball here vis-a-vis -vis LOL, and I was lucky enough to work for two teams uh, when David Stern was the commissioner and his sad passing um, and so many comments coming forth. And David, as people know, was not the easiest guy to be around once the door was closed, but outside, I always like to call him Yoda, who had a unique vocabulary of four letter words. I mean, <laughs> he, he, could, he could basically curl metal. Do you have, as David helped build, and he really did, because this global involvement of basketball, uh, which has grown in an incredible level, um, do you have any stern recollections or stories or lessons that you sort of learned for David and all of those quality people around him um, during your time in the league? 
Well, you, you don't want Andy. I, I don't have anything d- directly related to Stern, but just you know, obviously the utmost respect for what he was able to do, uh, and and to think that you know before he became the commissioner, uh, right? There, I think I believe it was the L.A. Times that had uh, done the investigative story on drug use in the league and how, you know, the popularity of the league had been struggling and the way he was able to uh, leverage the great talent in Bird and, and Magic and the guys that followed and to have guys like Dr. Jack Ramsey and Hubie Brown doing clinics globally to have that vision uh, and the ability to see, uh, you know, what the league could be. And also to hear coaches like Eric Spolstra talk about how impressed they'd be when he'd give his, you know, kind of state of the union. Uh, obviously, the people that are benefiting now owe, owe a debt of gratitude to David Stern. And also just having grown up uh, back in New Jersey in the shadow of New York City, uh, he just reminds me of so many people of his generation that were hardworking, that were tough but fair, that were not afraid to tell you the truth, that would pick you up when you needed it. Uh, and it, it obviously was just very sad. And, and I thought that, uh, you know, in his retirement, there was a terrific article on SI.com who talked about his work with different startups from, you know, wearables to other enhancements in technology that he also uh, envision coming down the road, which which may not be very far away. Some fa- fascinating stuff. So, uh, just an, an incredible guy, and I also believe you know the right guy at the right time uh, to really get the league, uh, you know, to re- to recognize its potential, which he always kind of saw. I talked about this in a story that uh, was written in a national publication on sports venues after David's passing, and. Um, I was in a position as president of business operations for the Vancouver Grizzlies, which people sort of forget. Um, And Michael Heisley, the late Michael Heisley, was owner of the team. And Michael Heisley and David Stern, how would I put this? They were not a mutual admiration society. Let's say that. And can can you imagine, you know, being in the middle of that, where your owner is telling you, you're not going to do that. And the commissioner is saying, you're going to do that. And I would go to the owner like, well, if we don't do that, and he'd go, what's the fine? And I go, it's this. And he goes, fine, keep doing that. Like what? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is absolutely a true story. And, but, but David Stern, who really started globalization with Toronto and Vancouver. And most people don't necessarily think the NBA has an international champion right now. You know, if you ask people like which country owns the NBA title, right? Most people would go, oh, the US. Like, no, they don't. Canada owns it and they're not the US. And so in trying to convince David through Michael Heisley that we couldn't make it in Vancouver, a large basis because we weren't good, but also the Canadian dollar was 61 cents against the U.S. dollar, which was never going to give us the ability to succeed. David was big enough 
to see that that wasn't going to work and helped the team, you know, move to what ultimately became Memphis after we looked at a bunch of other teams. So there's an example of a true leader who could have said, I don't care. You're stay. I don't like the owner. You're staying in Vancouver forever. Your problem. But he looked at the league and what would be best for the league. And that was to relocate the Grizzlies. That's going through all of that with David. Um, and I'm a skinny guy, but even I lost weight during that period of Heisley <laughs> and Stern. So that's, there's, a, there's a loss of logo, right? Going from Vancouver to Memphis and all that goes about moving a team. Hey, Andy, as, as, as we bring up the loss of logo, I, I think for our listeners, let's just kind of touch on what that is and – and we can kind of dive into, sure. you know, how, how it uh, pertains to Bill, and, and we'll go from there. Yeah. But, but what, is, what is LOL? LOL is the framed uh, poster that I have on my wall in my office that has uh, 13 business cards, and those all have cool logos on them, the 76ers, the Maryland Arrows, uh, Super Bowl 50, the San Francisco 49ers, the Oakland A's, the Memphis Grizzlies, the Vancouver Grizzlies, Tickets.com, um, and the Washington Capitals, all places that I've been. Nobody in this business, or very few, whether you're behind the mic, you're a coach, you're a player, or you're in business, stays with one franchise forever. And so there's constant movement. And as Bill said, and he'll talk about it in a moment, what that does to your own psyche and those people who you think are your friends when you can't get them tickets for the upcoming Super Bowl or the NBA All-Star Weekend. That's LOL. How your life changes when you lose your logo. So with that said, Bill, as you kind of, you know, the talent side, as Andy was talking about earlier, um, and going from, you know, gig to gig, team to team, city to city, whatever it might be, um, how has that, you know, either helped you, hurt you, changed how you've thought uh, throughout your career? Uh, any any examples or thoughts on that? Sure. You, you know, my, my most immediate thought, uh, you know, I was the Kings insider on NBC Sports Bay Area. And the initial loss of not being renewed in that capacity was just the rhythm of the season. And losing the team, uh, your internal team, your producer, your producers, your co-hosts, uh, and just the rhythm of, you know, your daily routine. And whether it's a game day doing, you know, pre-post work, uh, or if it's a, you know, practice day, shoot around, f- filing reports, making appearances on talk shows. So that is the, uh, you know, that, that to me was, was tough because, you know, you, you kind of live and die together uh, as, a, as a team. And to lose that initially was kind of the most uh, jarring aspect of it. Uh, and then secondarily, as Andy mentioned, uh, you know, it, it's a, it, the good thing is that you learn uh, and hopefully you've been able to realize along the way who your friends are because, because there are uh, – you know, some people who just kind of disappear 
And uh, those people who you thought maybe were your friends, like Andy said, if you can't help them out, uh, it's very simple to look back and say, well, when was the last time I heard from uh, this person or that person? Because uh, frequently uh, that communication kind of subsides. But when you were in a position uh, to help, uh, certainly your, your phone was a lot busier uh, than, it, than it becomes when you're kind of on the outside looking in. And, you know, to, to that point, having a few years on both of you, I pride myself, as do many, many others. Um, and, you know, Jake, you and I are a pretty good example of this in terms of how we first got to know each other and how you built your network. But, and not just for the comical, easy line that you you know, the, the 30-year-old wonderkin is going to hire the 60-year-old institutionally knowledgeable, capable person. But it's amazing to me um, how when you befriend people, when you try to be a mentor, when you don't um, depend on the cosmetics of the industry, but you really develop strong friendships no matter what you do, that usually comes back to help you. And the people that really aren't that worthwhile, they disappear and fall off. And I've always felt that that is a tremendous um, level of, of truth coming out when life isn't always perfect. Who your friends and true colleagues are as opposed to people who just viewed you as a social security number or another person working for the organization. Well, and Andy, to that point, you know, there's also a sense of, of loyalty to the logo, right? But then loyalty back to <laughs> the individual yeah. and vice versa. I know, I know you may have a few stories on that, but, um, you know, for those who maybe have only been with, with one organization and, you know, they're only, you know, only lo loyal to that logo on their polo, right, every day um, versus, you know, those who have been with multiple organizations, uh, Bill... Andy way in here, but, but how do those perspectives change when you, when you do ultimately go from being with just one organization to being with multiple? Well, I'll let, I'll let Mr. Horenda go first and then I'll talk about, you know, the sort of loyalty factor and how it works in different types of organizations. Yeah, I'll jump in, Jake. I think, you know, I've worked a lot as kind of like an independent contractor for, you know, whether it's the ESPN family networks, Compass Media Networks and others. And so from that standpoint, I think, uh, listen, UB Brown was unemployed. Sinatra couldn't get work for, for a while. And, I, you know, Jeff Van Gundy talked about this on uh, one of Adrian Wojnarowski's podcasts about how after he got fired, it was, you know, a, a shock and it was, a, it was a jolt to his confidence. So I think what you have to do is uh, recognize that uh, this is part of the process. This is not the destination. This is part of the journey. It's a tough part. But also, again, to focus on uh, being the best analyst you can be. And then uh, we, we've talked a lot, uh, I've talked a lot about the phone not ringing, but then you recognize that there will be, uh, you know, very popular radio shows that, uh, that will call, that will want your input. 
And again, I think you have to be very uh, determined uh, and persistent to make sure that you are continually learning, uh, in this case, about the NBA, about the league, so that those calls continue to come in. So in a way for me, it it wasn't uh, not going back to NBC Sports Bay Area wasn't that difficult because I'd always kind of worked, you know, independently, you know, big West games, uh, mountain West games, big 12, big 10 kind of in and out. You know what I mean? Not necessarily when I started, yeah, I worked for UC, uh, for UC Davis on their broadcast, but a lot of my work has been ad hoc. So not having a logo for me, hasn't been that difficult because I just, you know, I had more experience working in an ad hoc sense than uh, than for a franchise i don't know if that makes sense or not but that's that's did, kind of my deal did you did you create your own logo like bbh with the circle wear it wear the hat around or, or what <laughs> i should get into merch the horrendous agenda <laughs> merch oh, that's a good that's good jake see i've, I've already uh, i've enjoyed the conversation now i have something actionable to uh to follow up on but uh but yeah i, I think you know you know in a sense you're always presenting yourself as a subject matter expert and the best way you can kind of uh, th- that you can demonstrate that is kind of the return invites to, to various uh, to various shows uh, because if they're calling back then so- something's working uh, for, for you know not just the host but for their audience ultimately and it's it's very difficult early on when you're starting down this career path because words, we live in a business that words are part of what we do, right, Bill, in terms of what you do. If, you're, if you don't have a command of words in describing the game, you don't have a career. And on the business side, you have people that are excellent communicators. But words, to me, are not as important as actions, And you can hear a lot of flowery stuff, or you can hear a lot of difficult stuff. And the end result in the action may surprise you. Uh, The tough talk may actually be better in action and vice versa. Well, you said everything was wonderful and terrific, and now there's a security guard who just took my key card, and I'm being led to the parking lot. Um, And I think you know, you'd both agree with that. We've seen it. Loyalty from the larger entities is always talked about as a two-way street, always, until it's a one-way thoroughfare. And as you're moving through your career levels, being able to identify when is that street going to become one way? Because I don't want to be on it because it's an 18-wheeler coming at me, and it's not going to end well. And that, you know, has a lot to do with understanding the politics of an organization and, and figuring out what actions are going to take place here as opposed to just the words. And before, uh, when Jake gives us the two-minute drill, whatever, I've got some questions to ask Bill about terminology in basketball for a piece that I'm writing. So I'll throw it back to you, Jake. Well, Bill, we obviously certainly enjoyed having you on the episode and, and I will 
as we wrap up the episode, I want to talk about, um, you know, being on in the independent contractor seat and seeing things almost from the outside in, but still being on the inside. Uh, to Andy's point about, you know, the organizational politics and et cetera, what are some things that you've picked up on, you know, having, having almost like the, being the fly on the wall, right? The ears, the extra ears in the room um, that maybe some people don't necessarily see being, uh, you know, 110 feet deep in it. Yeah, I would say that, uh, you know, I think it's really important to be good from the, you know, from the mail room to the boardroom and to really recognize everyone's role within an organization and, and to recognize how valuable they are. And Oscar Wilde said, some people cause pleasure wherever they go, others whenever they go. And I would encourage people to, to really try and stay in that former group. And ultimately, uh, and this is also piggybacking on Andy's last comment, sometimes we can't, we can't let the result, uh, you know, we always talk about process versus results. And sometimes you have to focus on the process. And really, if you can sleep well at night, if you did the best job that you possibly could, and if, you know, the focus group scores were good and the ratings were good and, and, and ultimately it didn't end up well for you, sometimes you just have to live with that and just, you know, be thankful for the opportunity. And it certainly helps you with the, you know, with the next one. And uh, sometimes it's a small world. You just never know uh, how things are going to play out. But uh, again, I just try to get to an arena and, you know, work with our crew, uh, you know, from the sound technicians to uh, the video guys, the camera guys, the, the folks in the truck, the producers, the director, and, and just be the best teammate you can be. It's really, it's really simple uh, at, at the end of the day. And I think the, the, the longer I'm in it, the more I recognize to just take your time, enjoy it, listen, take it all in, be in the moment. You know, don't try to force some statistic, uh, some esoteric knowledge that you really like. If it doesn't fit the game or the broadcast, that should not be part of it. And, you know, ultimately, obviously, you want to be a good on-air teammate with your play-by-play -play person and also your sidelines reporter. It's really kind of just, you know, basic, uh, you know, kindergarten one-on-one, really. Uh, Bill, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast. Um, really enjoyed talking to you about, you know, your career, LOL. Um, certainly looking forward to seeing seeing you on the camera in 2020 and on and on air. And uh, best wishes uh, throughout the rest of the year. Absolutely, Jake. My pleasure. Anytime. It was great being with you guys. Thank you so much. I want to take the time to thank you for listening to Life in the Front Office. And if you liked our episode, please rate us on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We greatly appreciate it. And for more episodes, visit us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website at lifeinthefrontoffice.com. And please continue to share uh, with your colleagues on social media and help us continue to grow. Thanks.